Welcome to Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Costello, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system and an author on the G.I. Joe Transformers and My Little Pony role-playing game core rulebooks. And I'm Jason Keeley. I am Renegade Game Studios uh, RPG developer. And before we begin, although we both work for Renegade on Essence 20 in some capacity, Upshift is not associated with or produced by Renegade Game Studios, and this is not an official Essence 20 podcast. And I remembered to say that at the beginning this time. <laughs> good, 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 good. We don't want people getting all the way to the end and then realizing that this is just some uh, unofficial thing. To uh, keep myself honest, I say before we begin, no matter when in the episode, I remember to read that blurb. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, Jason, I've been watching a lot of documentaries, or I guess a pair of documentary series okay. that are both kind of focused on nostalgia. Or have nostalgia elements to them. Uh, one of them is Netflix's Pepsi Where's My Jet. I've heard of this. I've heard of this one. You've heard of the series, the story, or both? Uh, well, I, I vaguely remember the story once someone told me about it. But I don't, I mean, I don't think I really paid much attention to it uh, when it was happening. So I do remember the commercial that the caused the mm. whole controversy. Okay. Where, uh, you know, you were supposed to collect Pepsi points and then the commercial is showing different things that the cool kids are getting with their Pepsi points. And it ends mm -hmm. with the kid landing at school in a Harrier jet. And uh, <laughs> it even shows the number of Pepsi points you would need for a Harrier jet. And then I remember, uh, you know, a month or so later, there was the story of the kid that collected enough Pepsi points to be able to afford wow. the Harrier jet. Yeah. And that's, that's as far as I remember it. I remember just being a little novelty of like, he actually did it. I don't remember him actually saying, now where's my Harrier jet? Right. And the documentary series, uh, it does a good job of showing both sides of uh, the conversation. It shows not so much Pepsi, but the advertising company that designed the ad and was right. working for Pepsi. And they're really making the argument of like, it was a joke. It was obviously a joke. <laughs> How could anyone not think it was yeah. a joke? And then I, it's not that the counter argument is that interesting. But just the steps that the kid took, and I'm calling him a kid, which is the same mistake the ads execs are, because he was almost in college at the time, and he mm. had the backing of this, like, millionaire friend of the family, this real, like, oh. eccentric guy. And he's, like, a really mm. interesting character in this documentary. But, like, th this this millionaire had him make, a, like, a business plan saying, like, what would you do if you get the Harrier get? What are all the things you have to consider? So even though I don't think this kid should get this guy should get the Harrier jet. I, I agree that people need to know that that's a joke. It was still yeah. fascinating to see the thought process that went in on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I think if there's a, like, I assume you had to fill out some kind of form or something once you, or, or, you know, these days go to a website. And if that's not one of the options to spend your points, yeah, it's clearly that the commercial is a joke, but I, somewhere, somehow, he, if he could just be like, here's a million billion points or whatever it was and and give me a jet because i saw it in the commercial weird i mean like it, it does seem weird i don't want to spoil exactly how they got to that many points because that's a really interesting part of the documentary mm. but they didn't have a section on the on the catalog the order form at the back for the harrier jet so they said they wrote it in oh okay <laughs> Well, and they included the ten dollars of shipping and handling that was standard for the contest. <laughs> Imagine if you get a, a Harrier jet shipped to you for ten dollars. Yeah, I don't know how far you'll get on ten dollars of jet fuel, but I don't well, think it'll even leave the no. uh, the hangar. Well, they put it in a box, and then they, that box. Of course. Oh, what if that was assembly required? Oh, <laughs> there you go. Sure, you can have a Harrier jet. <laughs> Just. Thousands and thousands of pieces. You might need a welding torch. Just put like a ton of scrap metal in the box and just assure <laughs> them that, yeah, yeah, oh, you can, you can jet. build a jet out of this. Yeah, my God. <laughs> oh. So what's the other one? The other one is Stay Tuned. This is a CBC documentary about uh, animation. And hmm. the commercial for it is just like, hey, aren't cartoons great? And it's like, yeah, it's true. Cartoons are great. And it's hosted by Eric Bowser, who is the current voice of Bugs Bunny and like 90% hmm. of the other Looney Tunes. <laughs> and I've seen, or I'd, I'd heard him interviewed on the podcast. Um, I think it's called, Hey, I Know That Voice. It's anyway, it's a, a voice actor okay. podcast or podcast where they interview voice actors. And I found him really interesting and fascinating because not only is he really talented, 
he has a great approach to voice acting and he knows how to express his thoughts and his process. So uh, I enjoy him. I didn't realize he was Canadian, which is why it's on CBC, the Canadian broadcast okay. uh, channel. But within a couple of episodes, I realized that this is actually a much more serious look at animation and the animation industry than I was expecting. The first one is a little more playful. It's just on why are villains interesting. And mm. then the second one is about the marketing and, and like the, the predatory targeting of children that is often associated mm. with, with uh, animation, which honestly, the brands that we're, we're talking about on this, uh, this show sure, fall yeah. into that category where it sure was yeah. the, the half hour toy commercial is what they're criticized of. Um, and they have oh, uh, Lauren, Lauren Faust, uh, the, the creator or the showrunner of, uh, my Little Pony Friendship is Magic. She's interviewed in that second episode and she's okay. talking about how she approached it and that even though it was tied into a toy line, stories came first, character came first, which I've seen similar arguments from uh, Buzz Dixon and Flint Dilly who worked on the uh, 80s G.I. Joe Transformers and My Little Pony properties from mm -hmm. Sunbow that they did know that they had to, you know, include certain spreads of characters to make sure that whatever toys are on the shelf are also right, yeah. relevant in the episodes. But that yeah. ultimately they didn't just... They didn't care if a character that someone had to go out and buy looked bad in an episode if it served the purpose of the the episode. Sure. Yeah. 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 Good. Cool. Um. Uh. For me, I want to if I want to talk about nostalgia stuff uh, this week, I uh, uh saw that they are making um actually it should be coming out very soon a updated version of the old text adventure Colossal Cave. I don't know anything about this. Uh, the Colossal Cave is like one of the very first text adventures. Uh, and uh, Roberta Williams of King's Quest fame, if you're familiar with later uh, uh, graphical type and click adventures, uh, is sort of giving this old game a graphical update. Cool. So now it's a game with graphics that you can go in in the Colossal Cave. Colossal Cave is... is uh, one of the, yeah, just one of the early ones. It's very interesting that uh, that someone has, especially Roberta Williams, coming forth and being like, "Oh, you know what? Let's bring bring some of these oldies back and put some graphics on them, and uh, maybe introduce them to new people." Which I think is great because I, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of those old games, those old text adventure games. Um, I played basically all of them, and and uh, always love more point and clicks and and stuff like that. And I've uh, uh, have sort of actually you know, during the past couple of years started to teach myself one of the newer programming languages to, to write one of them uh and it's really weird because it's not even like a programming language it's kind of a naturalistic language you kind of just type in some stuff that you want this is a room and it has this in it and the the the, the system sort of interprets all of that and then the, the tricky part is just sort of getting everything to work the way you want it to i want this puzzle to work this way that kind of stuff yeah but um, does the system churn out text or does it churn out yeah, graphics it's text oh, okay. no no it's, it's it's still all text you can uh, uh, uh this um programming language is called inform um and it's free you can go in and grab it and download it uh if you want uh but you can add graphics to it yeah there's there's ways that you can add graphics and you can add sound to it but most of it, i was just working with the text stuff obviously i started actually uh weirdly just thinking about how it might be possible to do it um uh, 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 for for work purposes, so I started writing like an abomination vaults uh, for Pathfinder, uh, sort of like text adventure. What happens in the first? Just as a proof of concept to be like, sure. we could do one of these maybe, uh, but uh, it didn't really go anywhere. Obviously. <laughs> okay, so you've been doing this for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been yeah, yeah. It was it was it was like early twenty or mid twenty twenty, late to early twenty twenty one when I started messing with it, uh, but I've done all the text i've sort of thought about text adventures you can find i probably have a graph piece of graph paper with a with an old map and the way that you would map these text adventures would draw a little box draw some lines to other boxes each room is sort of individual spots right um and so uh, once in a while I, i'm sure back there i started drawing up my own little maps and like oh there's a big puzzle here where you gotta talk to the ogre and blah blah, blah. you know so no. weird stuff like that the only text adventure i really knew about was the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy one and mm. it was funny because I, I got into Hitchhikers in high school, and so around that same time, like, the Nintendo 64 was coming out, and that was mm. one of the biggest leaps in, like, graphical and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how you interact with the video game. Like, suddenly, you really were in a 3D environment, and this was, like, mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I was finding out about this text adventure, and I was like, how? How do they write that? How do they account <laughs> for all the words people could say and do? Right. They don't 
Oh, count okay. all of them. All of them. <laughs> because if you, you, you can't just type any old sentence into one of those. It, it, there's sort of ways to sort of, you know, you verb noun basically is what most uh, parsers uh, sort of accept. Punch Vulcan. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he probably laughs at you. But um, uh, Infocom, who made that uh, Hitchhiker's uh, uh, game, is one of the bigger, older text adventure sort of gurus. Those are the those are the, those are the that's the that's the company that um, I think made the best stories. They called them interactive fiction back in the day, but really they were just little puzzle games. And um, uh, there is there is a version of that Hitchhiker's game. That was on, I think, the BBC website not too long ago. Hmm. Uh, that, uh, but they updated like the interface, so it did have graphics and this sort of like blue and white vector graphics for each room, you know. Uh, so if you can find that and play it again, check it out. But it is a notoriously difficult game. Now I'm just looking up. Do you remember uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch on Netflix a few years ago? Yes, 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 yes. Of course I watched that. That was about making a sort of a text adventure. And there was the the program for how they laid out the scenes and stuff had a very oh, clever yeah. name and I was trying to look it up and I'm having trouble oh. finding it. It's not it's not Twine, is it? They didn't use Twine, did they? They did use Twine, but it was something else, like something okay. for the, the story layout. Uh but it is not jumping out at me. Hopefully I'll I'll find it and I'll at least let you know. Yes, please do. I'm bringing that up to uh, transition us into our topic for the day, where we're just talking about vivid memories of mm. the Essence 20 brands. So a lot of these memories include, you know, opening things Christmas morning mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, watching the different series, interacting with them at various stages in our lives. I just figured it's been a while since we had an episode that was just dedicated to the brands, the, the sure, topics yeah. of the role-playing games this may be a low-hanging fruit topic, but I also think it's a fun topic. Yeah. I got some memories to talk about. Now, as usual, I've got these in order that the role-playing game's core rulebooks released. So I've got okay. it, Power Rangers, then G.I. Joe, then Transformers, then My Little Pony. And also, as usual, I racked my brains and I could not come up with any <laughs> Power Rangers examples. I Yeah, I don't think I... I mean, I, didn't, I was not a, a one who watched Power Rangers uh, when it came out. Um, I, I like n like have I can picture things from Power Rangers, right? I can picture the Power Rangers. Obviously, they're pretty iconic. I can picture Rita Repulsa, and I can picture uh, 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 some other armor guy, right? And uh, which I think I'm thinking Hold of Lord on. Zed, right? Oh, Lord no, Zed. no, no! I think I'm thinking of Lord Zed. He's got that evil armor, right? And yeah. again, I just uh, mainly Rita kind of <laughs> laughing and and doing a weird thing, and then making a monster, a weird ass monster, really big, you know? So. That's my that's my most vivid memory is sort of a vague idea of what Power Rangers does. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm in about the same spot. I, I yeah. My main memory I talked about it in a recent episode, I think even last episode of just that I would go to a friend's house. He had the channel, so he would be able to watch Power mm -hmm. Rangers regularly, and I didn't, and so he would catch me up on it. But other than that, I I have so little interaction with Power Rangers. In fact, at this point. Because of Renegade, like my mm -hmm. my closest tie to Power Rangers is I watch the actual play and I think of the actual play team, the uh, Day of Destiny team, as right, my yeah. team of Power Rangers. And there you go. Uh, I've talked how I've done a very little bit of writing for Power Rangers. There is a character from Power Rangers canon that I used in some of the writing. And I saw that he had an action figure on the shelf. And I was like, oh, that guy. Like that is... A, a sure, yeah. purely positive memory, but it's it's hardly compares to how my memories of the other three brands really stacks up. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. So just apologies if people are coming into this saying like, oh, Essence 20, <laughs> I hope they talk about Power Rangers. This is why we hardly ever talk about Power Rangers. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. If there had been like, I don't know, maybe like a, a, I'm sure there were Power Rangers video games, uh, you know, uh, back in the 90s and aughties. Um, but, uh, I don't think they were on my radar. Yeah. I can think of at least one fighting game that I'm aware of. I think it's on the I mean, Genesis. Had, yeah. There had to have been at least one, like, you know, side scrolling beat em up, right? Like they were the Simpsons yes. had those, you know, one, so that got Power Rangers should have one. It's a beat em up show. I feel like I watched somebody play that. It might've been up, up, down, down. Yeah. So I think I saw okay. some, uh, wrestlers playing some nineties nice. Power Rangers side scrolling beat em up game. There you go. There you go. But yeah, no, G.I. Joe is where my memories start getting really vivid. Mm -hmm. 
one memory, a very specific memory I have was Christmas morning, 1988. And either me or my brother got Raptor. So uh, if you remember, mm. if you don't remember Raptor, I guess I should say, he is uh, a falconer. He's Coper's falconer. He's dressed like a falcon. And he comes with <laughs> a, uh, a cloth cape that is integrated into his backpack. And it has little handholds that you can put mm -hmm. his hands into so he can glide. It's never really clear exactly how he uses it. He shows up a lot in the comics, never flies once. But um, <laughs> the backpack does have like this, uh, like a, a cable spooled into it. So either he's trying to give people the illusion that he can fly and oh, he's yeah. just messing with them. Or that's the closest thing he can get to flying and he'll just take it. He'll take whatever flying he can get. <laughs> the file card definitely paints uh, Raptor out to be a strange guy. He's like an accountant who took up falconry and then he realized he can get his falcons to steal for him. And then he accidentally stole oh. from Destro and he got in trouble for that. But that <laughs> also got him into Cobra and they found his accounting useful. So even though he's okay. being sold as the Falconer, his role on Cobra is he's the Cobra's accountant. And also, even though Cobra has the Crimson Guard, who are the, you know, the, the battle right. lawyers, and they have the entire branch of Cobra that is dedicated to uh, accounting and the law and whatnot, Raptor is their accountant. Anyway, so the, the very specific memory <laughs> I have is that my brother, also one of my brothers, I have so many brothers, one of them got like a, a, a table hockey game that mm. was only about the size of like a dinner plate but it had a metal disc for the puck that was mm. much heavier than it should have been. It was like heavy as a ball bearing. And when you spun it, it just went out of control and it was very dangerous and it flew right <laughs> off the table and it landed on Raptor and it somehow like burned through one of his handholes. So from Ooh. day one, Christmas morning, we got Raptor and I could only have him wear one wing. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's wild. Um, I I didn't have too many GI uh, no I too many I didn't have any GI Joe toys uh, uh, back in the day but I do have a vivid memory of the of the I'm sure I maybe even talked about this one episode of the show the the Viper episode oh, yes. yes that I had that that sort of burned into my brain about how Joe freaking out about how the Viper's coming uh, and uh, turns out you know spoiler alert he turns out to be some some a guy with an accent who just is here to wipe windows yeah. I find that, uh, you know, just sort of like, I guess so weird that that's why it stuck with me. And such a such a thing to have a comedy episode, like, you know, it's just a joke episode, like a, a, a shaggy dog story to the to the nth degree uh, as an episode of TV. <laughs> you know, uh, why not? And it's not like there's it's not like you could go out and buy the the, the window Viper. No, nope. toy. Even like it's just like. Super yeah. 7 has never released the Viper. Like any of the licensors that have gone deep dive into what they could be releasing, no one's touched the yeah, Viper. No one's, but no a lot of people it. remember this episode. Yeah. And I think it's a combination of one is that the intrigue was actually really well sold. Like mm, yeah, yeah, they yeah. went all over the world. They just mm. like kept decoding these messages they were getting from the Viper. They always landed into these Cobra operations. And then Cobra was like, how did you find us? And so it's like, well, the Viper sent us here. It's like, we don't work with the Viper. So the mystery got deeper. Like, who yeah. is this guy that is giving G.I. Joe these coded messages about Cobra? He's named after a snake, so we don't know if we can trust him. And uh, before the reveal, I don't know how well you remember that, but there's a scene where G.I. Joe, like hundreds of Joes and all of their tanks and stuff are lined up right outside Barbecue's. Uh, Barbecue bought a an old firehouse. That's That's how the episode started. And mm, that's right, right. what the guy was coming to wash his windows of. But like, there was just this ominous moment where they really like <laughs> held on to the, the twist for an extra mm -hmm. couple of seconds. And they really just waited for everyone's reaction. And then the Viper comes. He explains that, you know, he was coming to this time that what they interpreted were coordinations was actually just the time that he was going to be or the, like what he was charging them to wash the windows. Right. Yeah. 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 It was just a big coincidence that, yeah. that led to all this Cobra stuff. Yeah. But then the Joes all laugh at it. So I think it's like it, it, it was a good amount of comedy and absurdity. And because mm -hmm. the Joes laugh at it, it lets the kids know that it's like, no, no, yeah, this was, was all just a big joke. I, it's it's a silly pun, but a really well-written episode to justify the yeah, silly yeah. pun. It, it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, and I was thinking about this episode even like a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple months ago even. And, 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 and 
just knowing like oh that had to have been like a later season episode right because of how silly it was. it's his first it's a season one episode so here's the thing um, gi joe has two seasons People, that's true yeah yeah i mean because of when it hit and because it was five days a week so they were churning out so many episodes People remember it as this show that went on forever, but there was like a miniseries and that was it for a year. Then there was a second mm-hmm. miniseries. So by the second year of G.I. Joe Animation, there's still only 10 episodes and it's really just two hour and a half mini movies. Right. And yeah. then we get the first season, which was like 75 episodes. And then the second season is only another 40 or so episodes because they were still rerunning the first season. Right. Yeah. So that's it and then the movie hit and then they lost the license and then a couple years later there was a new series that came out that continued it and had a similar aesthetic so people kind of if you don't know judge or super well you might think of that as one long ongoing series and it was in syndication for years but as far as just producing new episodes it was only a couple of years got out that much content and left that much of an impression yeah i mean just that also just to sort of thinking about how um old older shows would have so many episodes for what would be a season, right? I mean, cartoons probably more so, right? Because they, they could kind of make them a little faster than you could for like live action shows. But like looking at like, I think I went back and looked at like how many episodes are in the first season of I Love Lucy. And it's so many, it's more. Oh, really? And it's a lot. It's yeah. It's also something like 50 or 60 episodes. Um, uh, And, 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 and like just thinking about what, what, Oh, it's 35. So, but still, that's more than even like what I consider was a normal run for a season. It would to me is like, oh, that that it's my brain is like 23, 24, maybe 20 episodes, right? Nowadays it's actually more like 10 or 12 or 13. But uh yeah, even before all that, it's it's even longer. And then cartoons kind of double that basically, right? Yeah. So one of the other things about G.I. Joe that uh, one of the weirder facts that I like to quote is that it had the most individual characters with uh, more than one appearance. Like that was the record. You had to be mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. more than one appearance to be considered a significant character on the show. And so they had the record for the most individual characters with more than one appearance until the Simpsons came along. And it took the Simpsons like wow. 10 seasons to beat G.I. Joe's <laughs> record that G.I. Joe set in two seasons. Wow. Amazing. There's a lot of Joes. There's a lot of Joes. They started giving them reoccurring like secondary characters and friends and whatnot. And yeah, just somehow it really added up quite a bit. Uh, on the subject of the Jojo cartoon, one of the episodes that really stuck with me was There's No Place Like Springfield. Hmm. The moment that stuck with me is the very end because it's a two-parter. And so the cliffhanger at the end of the first episode is that Shipwreck, who's the main character of the episode, uh, fights a bunch of the other G.I. Joes, and as he hits them, they melt into this purple goo. But oh, then no. all the goo kind of comes together, picks him up, and takes him off, and he is screaming very traumatically, and then the episode ends, and I did not catch the next part of it. So, Oh, no. I know Shipwreck showed up again in later episodes, but just, like, as far as that storyline, I didn't know wow. what was happening. <laughs> I don't remember that one, but that does. Oh, sound that is one that's worth going. Twilight Zone, yeah, yeah. Um, you do you know Steve Gerber, the creator of Howard the Duck? I mean, not personally. Okay, well, so Steve Gerber created Howard the Duck, and people probably mostly know Howard the Duck for being the movie that George Lucas said he would do after Return of the Jedi when he had Cal Blanche in Hollywood, and that's the movie <laughs> put out, and it is one of the biggest bombs in history. One of the weirdest movies and just so weird makes you question how Star Wars ever came to be. But anyway, <laughs> Howard the Duck was not original to the movie. It was based on a Marvel character. And the Marvel character was this really interesting, subversive character that was kind of like the Deadpool of his time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it played on multiple levels and it got really weird sometimes, but it was always like clever with just a touch of Looney Tunes into it. So anyway, Steve Gerber eventually started writing some episodes for G.I. Joe and Transformers in the 80s. And There's No Place Like Springfield is one of the Steve Gerber ones. And that's why it gets Mm -hmm. super weird. (laughs) Uh, So what was actually happening in that episode is that uh, Shipwreck had been uh, hypnotically given the code to uh, some kind of MacGuffin. Hmm. It was like, it was put into his brain. He couldn't even access it himself. (laughs) But anyway, Cobra eventually catches him. They realize that they can't get him to 
uh, like they can't torture him. They couldn't get the information out of him. So they create this entire fake city and this entire fake story where it's been 15 years since Shipwreck single-handedly tackled Cobra Commander, defeated Cobra, and now the Joes are all just retired and older. And as he's going through the city, like things are not lining up and he's finding out some things that happened in the last 10 years that are really stressing him out and frustrating him. And then some people start melting. And <laughs> it's it's very like psychologically weird. So the first episode is just setting up just how traumatic this whole thing is for Shipwreck. The second episode is more action-packed, still very interesting, and ultimately like an amazing two-part episode because like Cobra gives him a fake family, but the family is based on a character that we'd seen in an earlier episode, Mara, mm. who Cobra had been experimenting on, gave her gills, and so she had to live in water, which as a sailor shipwreck you know came across her one time pulled her out of the water to save her she starts suffocating so right. he puts her back in the water they bring her back to gi joe hq they're trying to figure out like what what's going on with her she also has the cobra logo on her outfit so they like figure you know something's not great about this but <laughs> we're gonna try and help this lady anyway so she's his wife in the future gi joe has cured her but she was a synthoid uh, like these purple goo people and so at the end of the second part of the episode uh, and like the whole city is burning down that Cobra has created. Shipwreck still wants to go and save his wife and he runs in and his wife and his daughter are holding, well, she's holding a, uh, an assault rifle. His daughter's holding a bazooka in this like <laughs> little sailor girl outfit. And he's still trying to like grasp everything. And he's like, but, but we were married. We like, we loved each other. And the daughter says something like, don't be stupid, daddy. And so he he leaves, the building collapses, and ship, uh, sorry, uh, Flint and Lady J have now arrived on the scene, the real ones, to save him. And he's just kind of looking back at this burning house, and uh, Lady J's like, was was there something important in there? And he's like, no, maybe just a dream. And, mm. and that's it. It just had this, like, poetic note to end this really messed up psychedelic couple of episodes. Uh, because, again, even though this was supposed to be telling uh, selling toys, it was also selling nightmares. <laughs> for for one and all yeah <laughs> wow that is good and weird i like it you could probably find it on youtube hasbro just has a full collection of their or not a full collection but it has a deep collection mm -hmm. of their uh, sunbow series um there was a cut there was an edit to that episode where they took out the part with the, the daughter uh, <laughs> missile on him uh calls him stupid like that the scene ends a little bit sooner in the later cut so um my VHS copy that I got off eBay a long time mm. ago, it's pirated and it actually has an original run copy, which is nice. Terrible quality, but at least I can yeah. say I've seen the original version in, you know, uh, more, more recently than when it originally aired. Neat. So, Neat. We could go on and on with G.I. Sure. Joe, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm going to flag it and say like, there will be plenty of future opportunities for G.I. Joe anecdotes. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, my most vivid Transformers memory kind of falls under fanfic, or oh. you could just consider it playing because I sure. was a child. But uh, one of the things I remember the most was this idea that I had that a lot of those season one Autobots should be a, a team called the Speedobots, not thinking about the bathing suit implications. Sure, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking speed and Autobots, <laughs> the Speedobots. But anyway, that they should be like a combiner. And that there should be one original character named Scramble, who was me. It was me if I was a Transformer. Uh, nice. That should transform into, like, the heart of it. And so it's this combiner that we combine around this one T-shaped uh, robot that goes on the inside. And it would have, like, Optimus and Jazz and Mirage. Uh, another thing I regret about this decision was that I thought that uh, Bumblebee and Cliffjumper could be, like, the Pecs. Which would not have looked <laughs> like Pecs. <laughs> but funny. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but then the idea they would they would open up and then you can see basically I wanted myself to turn into the uh, Matrix of Leadership although I don't even, I didn't see the anime, the uh, movie as a kid so I don't even know if I'd also come up with an idea of some kind of chest based power source not not super original or anything but anyway sure. I, I don't know if I was basing that off the Matrix of Leadership or just coming up with my own thing mm -hmm. but even years later I'm looking back on that and it's like maybe instead of killing off all those toys they could have just re-released them, but now they're a combiner, so you have to justify why you mm. would buy extra ones. Uh, you can update the designs. I, I I really think that, Speedobot name aside, <laughs> there's some legs to this idea. Yeah, 
<laughs> sure. Well, we should. Uh, I mean, you know, we could. Uh, we we know some people at Hasbro now, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> we well, so a couple of years ago, they had a, a storyline in the toys called Combiner Wars, and they did release oh, yeah, a lot yeah. of the familiar characters is as new types of combiners. Uh, so mm-hmm. it eventually happened. Not exactly the way I, I thought it should have, but really, the idea would have been ideal in the eighties when you right. know the movie killed off all the people and there was like backlash yeah yeah i mean i remember you know i remember a lot of uh, a fair amount about the movie i think in in terms of like um yeah it's just all the voice and it's just all the stuff that happens and all the all the all the great voices in the cartoon and everybody you know that that, all that's nothing like like specific kind of is in my brain about a thing about um the transformers cartoons uh just a sort of a general vibe of like oh yeah like oh yeah that uh, what's his name? Who does Optimus's voice? It's just Peter so... Cullen. Peter Cullen. Thank you. Um, another Canadian voice actor. Another. Ooh, well done. I know. I feel like uh, is it uh, isn't like Billy West also Canadian, or am I just making that up? No, I'm making that up. Um, um, I don't know who I'm thinking of, but um, uh, just just that. But I I remember that my my uh my friend uh had a Transformer. I'm pretty sure he had a Megatron. Um, that transferred into the gun right at the time. Um, uh, that was fun. Should have been playing with that and and at his at his uh, I think while he was like on the computer uh, playing a, a game or something that we would play together, he would be his turn or whatever, and I would just like oh let me futz around with the the bot. Um, I remember that. Uh, I don't fully remember if I have if I did have my own transformer. Uh, but I do have a um very vivid memory of of not getting a transformer because oh. I uh, was um, I have a, the, the, I had, I had the, I had the GoBot heartbreak at one point. Mm. Um, and that I remember getting as a, I think it was Christmas present, this GoBot carrier situation. And it was a big plastic. It was supposed to, it kind of looked like an, uh, I was going to say, it's kind of an, an ad hat right? with like a cone head, right? Yeah, it kind of has a cone head, okay. right? And and all it basically did was the legs would fold up. That's as much as it transformed. I think you could open up and put some. But then I got a, you know a couple of GoBots with it. And then you know, all the out there who don't, maybe don't remember GoBots. GoBots were basically uh, very simplistic transformers. Uh, they basically I think they didn't have much in the way of articulation. I think they just like you just went and twisted them in half or something like that. And then then they were or like real you know just sort of straight arms would come out and hey now it's a robot um or boop now it's a car you just sort of had to really push them like because i remember the transformers at the time also being very tr- like complicated like mm. almost not not quite rubik's cube level but it was just like you had to twist this and twist this to really get it into robot form and then back into the into the uh you know it's all uh, alt form um but i remember i think my grandma uh got it for me and I was like, oh, go, go, box. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Grandma. Oh, yay, fun. We, uh, but, uh, you know, eventually, you know, it, whatever, it went wherever toys go, <laughs> probably after a while, which is the dump. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had it, I had a GoBot thing for a while. So yeah. I had a, the, I probably had a few GoBots, but the main one I remember was the purple dinosaur named Zod. And mm. he, he didn't transform. Mm. He, so, uh, picture like a, I guess a T-Rex, but now sure, his yeah, front yeah. hands were on a wheel and he had batteries oh. and you press the button on his back and he would just kind of like convulse and drive himself <laughs> a little bit. And he came with like this stick and the button was on his back and it was also on his stomach. And if you could poke the button right, with yeah. the stick, he stopped convulsing. And oh. so that was it. It was basically, he was this rampaging robot and the play feature was <laughs> that the go. other GoBots would try and shut him down. But what was great is that he took like four... Uh, D cell batteries and mm. they they packed into his tail and i figured out that i could actually fit a gi joe into the battery compartment if i didn't have any batteries in there and so it was like roadblock is driving zod <laughs> that's funny so i know that gobots are kind of seen as the 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 knockoff transformers or the less than transformers they did come to market first it was just they came to market oh, really? i believe they were rock lords before they were vehicles and so mm. you could buy robots that turned into rocks and did nothing until it was time to be a robot again. So weird that they would t- a robot turning into a rock. What? what <laughs> yeah, what idea and it wasn't just that? the one guy who turns into a rock. Yeah. That's his thing. It was here's five different robots who turn into rocks, different kinds of rocks. One of them was kind of warthog-like, and he was kind of interesting. Mm. But 
Um, the other thing, the thing that really kind of made me admire GoBots a little more is that they were all to scale with like Hot Wheels and Tonka, mm, yeah. like mini cars. So yeah, yeah, yeah. they were more robots in disguise than anything because you could completely be playing with one and not even realize that it transforms into a robot ah, until, God, you know, yeah. an arm pops out. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with like the the name. It says, does go what bot. it says on the It's going to go bot. It's a go. It's a bot that goes. Um, which is though it's a weird name to put onto robots to turn into rocks, which famously yes. do not go. <laughs> Unless they transform at the top of a hill. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Then they uh, gravity bots. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking up a this one go bot that transformed into a a limo <laughs> or a Rolls Royce kind of looking car named go bot named Tux. Yeah, nice. it's got a top hat on. <laughs> That's like, what good. more do you need? I guess that's great. Yeah, maybe some kind of action role on the team, so that when he's in his formal wear, like, is he like a James Bond type GoBot? Um, gosh, no, he's just he's oh, he's, he's just fancy. Uh, he's not a spy. He's just fa- he likes to be fancy. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame him. Yeah, exactly. Why not? I, I like to look. I like to look fancy every now and then. Sure, I I don't have yeah. a top hat, and now I'm jealous of a GoBot. I do have a top hat. Ooh, I actually have. Two. Now that I think about it, uh, I did. Um, this is, here's here's a here's a non Hasbro related memory for y'all. Um, uh, I went to senior prom, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, I'm gonna wear a tuxedo to this prom, and I'm gonna get a top hat, and I'm gonna get a cane, and I'm gonna get white gloves. I look dumb as hell, uh, <laughs> and I got upset because the, the top, only the top hats I could find were like kind of short. They're like didn't feel like the, I, I wanted a top hat. I wanted like an old school top hat at the time, and I had this, so I had this short stubby one. Um, but then more recently when I, uh, was doing, um, Oblivion Oath, uh, uh, actual play, uh, Paizo, uh, and I was, uh, a, this sort of showman, this sort of, uh, almost, uh, practically a ringleader. He, he was a, he was a snake oil salesman, alchemist. Uh, and then it, that, it came around Halloween. I was like, oh, I could dress, we, we, let's do this. And I managed to find enough of a costume to actually kind of dress up like the character. We had art made uh, uh, for each of these characters. And he's got he's got a big top. So I've got a nice tall top hat. Not quite a you know stovepipe Abraham Lincoln thing, but it sure. is nice top hat looking thing. Uh, Danny anyway. DeVito in a Danny Elfman movie. Not Danny Elfman. Yes. Um, oh, the director uh, was the name. No, I can't remember. Uh, oh Tim my Burton. God. Tim Burton, thank you. Yeah. Danny Elfman, though, very much related to all that, of course. Felt right for a second, and then I knew it yes. was totally wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with one more Transformers memory. Sure. I, I think an episode made me cry, and not yeah. the movie, which made everybody yeah. cry. Because, um, so, again, I didn't see the movie as a kid, and so I just knew the legend of what happened. Mm. Like, oh, they're mm. swearing in it, and a <laughs> bunch of characters die, including Optimus Prime. And then I would watch the episodes that came out after the movie, and yep, those characters aren't in it anymore, so I, I guess they're dead. But then The mm-hmm. Return of Optimus Prime is a... I think it's a two-part episode. I felt like it was a five-part thing that I dedicated <laughs> a whole week to watching. But no, it's a two-part episode where all Autobots, Decepticons, Junkions, everyone was getting... Oh, I forget the name of it. It was some kind of virus that turned them bright red, and they would like glow red and yeah. just get evil and aggressive. It was like the rage. It was called the rage plague or something like that. That sounds familiar. Yes. So anyway, um, and and it just if you got touched by somebody with it, it spread. So very yeah, quickly, yeah, it was yeah. kind of getting to all of the different characters. But then um, Skylinks tracks down Optimus Prime's body, and they somehow resurrect it. And I had Skylinks at the time. That was one of the last big Transformers I got. So it was cool that the, this featured one of those, uh, <laughs> uh, one of the, you know somebody that I had a toy of. But yeah, when they brought Optimus Prime back to life, and this is a character that I had not heard his voice in years, because like there was no just going back and watching old episodes whenever I wanted on YouTube at the time. Yeah, just hearing his voice was really touching. And then he opens the Matrix of Leadership, and the touch plays, and I hadn't seen the movie since the first time I'm seeing the touch, and it just spreads out, and it's curing all of the Autobots and Decepticons, and like Optimus Prime and Galvatron shake hands at the end to have like, a partial truce so that they could all go their own ways after being mm, yeah. go through this mutual experience. And it really touched me. It was like, this is a nice. moment that I will remember forever. And I was right. There you go. I uh, just uh, remember what you're talking about. It's the hate plague. Yeah, that sounds right. 
and I don't know if there's like uh, anything. It's, it's, there might be like a, if not, it's not already soonish, um, a thing oh. on a PDF on Renegade uh, uh, about it. The sort of a free PDF about how you can have the hate plague in your Transformers game. Okay, I I know that when the core rule came out, we did put up a bunch of online supplemental material. Yeah. So the funny thing is, you need to have bought the books to get that. And up until recently, oh. when I was getting books, it wasn't counting as a purchase, so I couldn't actually access the oh, no. <laughs> the right. official PDFs. Sometimes I could find the files that were uh, the the written files. I try not yeah. to mess around with those because, you know, that's somebody else's. Uh, Words that I just happen to have access to, but if it's sure, yeah, yeah. relevant to a product, every now and then I have gone and I have found some of this stuff. But yeah, no, I uh, I cannot access, or I might now be able to because I recently got an email saying that the GI Joe, uh, sorry, the Transformers role playing game core rulebook was coming my way. So I should double check to yeah, see yeah. if uh, I got that on file somewhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, last one on the list is My Little Pony, <laughs> and um, I. I don't have as vivid memories of G.I. Joe and Transformers, but I did watch My Little Pony as a kid. And I did have, or mm. me and my older brother each had a pony. And I do not remember how we got them. Mm. My parents were not super progressive in that they were getting us ponies to make a point. But mm-hmm. we were also very susceptible to commercials. And I think just <laughs> a commercial came on. And for other than Barbie, Barbie, for whatever reason, really bothered us whenever a Barbie commercial came on. We would leave the room angry. But everything, I don't know why, but everything else still appealed to us. And so, you know, we had Cabbage Patch Kids. We had My Little Pony. Uh, we had, actually, I don't think we owned any She-Ra, but we watched She-Ra. So mm-hmm. it didn't matter who the target audience was. We wanted some part of it. And so me and my brother yeah. each had a pony, I know. But I only remember one of them. And I think it's his. And it's like this white-coated, mm-hmm. red-haired pony. Um, I was talking to Kathy about it one time. She helped me track it down because... Apparently, there's not too many ponies that uh, match, that sh- match that description. Mm-hmm. And also, there's not as many My Little Pony characters as you would imagine. Like, just going okay. back, thinking about how many G.I. Joes and Transformers there were, I yeah. would I figured there was 100 My Little Pony individual characters, but <laughs> it, it's much, much less. So anyway, so I, I have memories of that pony, and I don't remember how we played with it, but I do remember it was in our rotation of the toys we were playing with. But the... My memory from the cartoon was once again a haunting memory because the people that were making G.I. Joe and Transformers were also making My Little Pony and they did not mind just making it weird fantasy sometimes. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was an episode that someone was stealing people's shadows and the concept blew my mind because like, what does that mean? But when a pony had their shadow stolen, they would just be like really sad. And mm. the colors would desaturate, and it was just it was it was kind of like the the hate plague, only a sadness <laughs> plague, and so it was <laughs> spreading across. Uh, I don't know if it was Ponyville at the in the original series. I've never revisited the original My Little Pony. Maybe that's something I should make more of an effort to do. But again, our role playing game is based on friendship is magic, so maybe it's better I don't right, yeah. muddy the water and mix up which fits into what uh, franchise. But anyway, yeah. so uh, that's also a two parter, and the episode ends with one of the. Uh, I think they were called crystal ponies. So in Friendship is Magic, a crystal pony is fully translucent. They're full crystals. In the Mm. 80s, they just had a crystallized eye, which was really cool. Hmm. Um, So yeah, so uh, there's like a crystal pony and like the shadow is approaching and like looming over her. And that's how the episode ends. Because by then they were down to a small handful that were still fighting off this this shadow plague. And uh, she was, I think, the most powerful one left in the group. And just like, that shot of her knowing her fate mm. and the episode cuts out there that, that stuck with me more than anything else I saw in the series. Don't even remember this character's name, but I remember that <laughs> moment. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That shadow stealing classic folk stuff, <laughs> right? Folklore stuff that, you know, you wouldn't know as a kid. Right. But yeah, yeah that, that most likely the writers are just like, Oh yeah. I remember, you know, you know, Peter Pan had his, he didn't have a shadow for a while or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't, I didn't watch the My Little Pony, the original, I don't know, I say I haven't watched My Friendship is Magic either, but, um, for whatever reason, through cultural osmosis, I definitely remember the Sea Ponies jingle. Oh, okay. I don't know why. I don't know why it's in my head. I don't know if I remember it from then or if it's possible because I somehow it filtered into my brain through, you know, 
my wife singing it or something. Um, so it's 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 in there. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, that's really all I can think of uh, for My Little Pony, honestly. I guess that wraps us up. Is there anything, any memory you want to go back to for anything on the list that we haven't covered enough of or anything not on the list? Hmm. No, not okay. at the moment. Uh, I have a gem memory. There, oh. uh, the drug episode where uh, a friend of Jem's is hallucinating that she's a bird and jumps out the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. Classic. And I think she hurts herself, but like she's oh no no sure. she's she's chasing a bird. She sees an, oh, a, okay. a hallucination of a bird. It jumps out the window, and she just decides to jump out after it. And uh, yeah, a... all of the weird moments that they yeah. fit into these episodes that they were on syndication, so there was. A lot less oversight, and they had to churn out so many of them. They had to make so many. Just to imagine, make yeah. It's like, yeah. here's my idea for an episode. It's like, fine, go, go, just write it. We need five <laughs> done this week. Oh, so, oh my gosh. Uh, vaguely, do I vaguely remember the in? No, just sort of vaguely remember the Inhumanoids, but not. Oh yeah, really. Inhumanoids had some weird moments yeah. too. I mean, it was all just sort of weirdness. Yeah. So. Uh, the Inhumanoids, it's it's another one of those classic times in the 80s where it would be a toy line where all the characters are male, so they would have the female yeah. character that's exclusive to the show. And I remember at one point, she, so she's one of the soldiers, she had a full outfit just like all the other, whatever the humans were called on Inhumanoids. Um, and yeah, so they the, the monsters broke into her armor and infected her, and she became a kaiju for a couple of episodes. Oh, wow. And then she got turned back, and I just, I, I remember that being pretty traumatic. Why did I like yeah. these shows? I don't know. I what just the, these are supposed to be what? vivid memories of Christmas mornings and yeah, we're know. talking about yeah. personal trauma. Was this was this helpful for you at all, Ryan? Getting all this out? No, it's it left me with more questions. Well, you should probably you know have a glass of warm milk or something before bed so you can get a nice night's sleep so you don't have these cartoons haunting your memories while you dream. Yeah, it's almost my bedtime. Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really hope this doesn't actually give you nightmares. No, I don't that'd expect be, it to. Uh, and if it does, I'll uh, try and remember it to write it into some of the games. Sure. Because if yeah, these properties go. gave me nightmares, I'm giving our players nightmares. Yeah, it's, all, it's the only it's way to be it. authentic. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us for episode. What are we up to? Eight. Episode eight of the Upshift. Mm -hmm. Before we go, we got a couple of things I want to shout out to. Uh, I've got stay tuned on here again. I think I wrote my shout outs because I often forget things I want to shout out to. But we already talked about Stay Tuned. But there was a little bullet point I had up here that did not get covered, so I'm going to bring that down to here. Jason, I'm going to ask you something. What's that? I'm not asking you to actually name any, but if you had to make a list of Canadian entertainers, how many do you think you could do? Well, I mean, just if, if, if I can count all the kids in the hall individually. Oh, yeah. Um, so that they love kids in the hall. Um, I mean, like, all like how much of SCTV is Canadian? Like, so many SCTV lot, yeah. alums are Canadian. So I think I can name. I could get to at least a dozen. All right, a Michael J. You're Fox. Stopping at a dozen, just I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a conservative estimate because if I said more than that, I might make a fool of myself. All right, fair. So then the follow up is just how much Canadian entertainment can you name? I mean, I, you know, I just said Kids in Hall, SCTV. Yeah. I I watched, a, like, I, I, I thought there was another one that I remember. I might just be thinking of SCTV. Um, like, yeah. Uh, gosh, there was that one, like, not quite, not quite a, well, what the heck was it called? It had a, it had a very young Jewel State from Firefly on it. And I think it, that was Canadian. Um, it was like some space, some, some like teens in space kind of show. Okay. Um, yeah, it's not coming, but, but that's now I'm curious. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but I could probably look that up pretty quickly. Um, uh, and tell you later. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I don't think of it. You know, I don't necessarily think of where it's coming from exactly. Can you know when it, okay, when it seems enough. like it's American? You always know, say it's people talking, in, you know, English and not with a British accent. It all sort of blends together for me. So I don't know if there's something I might know some other shows that are uniquely canadian but i can't right. think of them so the point i was trying to make is that it feels like the world loves our entertainers but does not really care much for our entertainment 
okay. we export a lot more entertainers than we export the shows. Like there's a couple of shows that yeah, every now and then they'll hit. Schitt's Creek hit a couple of uh, years ago. And oh, Working yeah, that Moms. counts as Canadian, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. But like, that's it. Like, that's the exception. Once every 10 years, a show will like penetrate an audience on like a streaming service completely unrelated right. to Canada. And by the time you figure out that it's Canadian content, you'll be like, oh, they got us. Um, <laughs> oh, they tricked us. So yeah. all of that to say that if you want to watch Stay Tuned, that documentary I was talking about earlier, it is on CBC Gem. So now it is a streaming service. It is an app that you would have to download to get this. Mm-hmm. It is free there with ads, but like you don't even need to sign in. You just can get the, the app and watch it. And I actually, every time I log into CBC Gem, just the banners that are scrolling by, it's like there's so much good content on this app that the oh, CBC okay, produces. And even fellow Canadians overlook how good some Canadian content is. It's just a weird thing we and the world has when it comes to Canadian content. So I guess I'm giving a shout out to Canadian content, first of all. <laughs> CBC, the Canadian Broadcast Company, second of all. CBC gem their app, third of all. And then stay tuned, that uh, animated documentary that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Great. This was, this was layers. That's why we had to do trivia so to layers. get to the shout out. <laughs> And I'm also going to just kind of put this out there. Every few, uh, every year for the last few years, No Direction Network has released a holiday special. Sometimes these have been uh, pre-recorded and uh, when Param was doing them, it was very much in the vein of like a variety show, a holiday special. Mm, yeah. Sometimes we've just had an excuse to uh, bring the whole network together in like it's just a series of conversations that usually went well. But last year we had a lot of technical problems and we missed about half the mm. interviews. So we are planning on doing a holiday special again this year. So even though the No Direction podcast is on hiatus, the No Direction network is not. And so I am working on that uh, right now. And I'm just putting it out there in the universe. Uh, something to look forward to. So uh, I don't know how which feed people are listening to the Upshift on. Probably the Universal no Network feed. It's something you can look for. It'll show up on that feed. Terrific. I can't wait. If you'd like to know more. Or if you'd like to find more great gaming podcasts and blog content, you can go to nodirectionpodcast.com. Or if you'd like to support the network, you can go to patreon.com slash nodirection. Become one of our patrons for as little as any amount of money you throw at us. We do throw some exclusive content up there uh, on occasion. It's it's slowed down since we haven't been doing the live shows to do all after show after. Yes, that sentence makes sense. But uh, in any case, just the content we are putting out, we, we, Sure out just about a podcast today, just about a blog post today, and our patrons are helping us make sure that we have the best equipment and that keeping our, you know, the network that lights on. Also, thank you to Word Burglar for letting us use Letters from Snake Eyes Volume 4 as our theme song. I still, I need to contact Word Burglar and know if this is version 4 or volume 4. All I know is the title is officially B4, so maybe I should just read it as the title says. Word, thank you to Word Burger for letting us use Letter from Snake Guys B4 as the official Upshift theme song. You can find out more at wordburglar.com. So we will see you in two weeks for the next episode of Upshift. At this point, I've just given up on how many uploads I have. That's, it. <laughs> that's fair. Okay. Dry. See you in two weeks. It's good. <laughs> Our theme song is Letter from Snake Eyes number four by Word Burglar. To find it and other amazing tracks, go to wordburglar.com. This has been a No Direction Network production. To find more great gaming podcasts, visit nodirectionpodcast.com.